have you ever really thought that you understood something? Like you, you really understood something. You were confident in your understanding of that thing. You were so confident that uh, you thought you could explain it to anybody, right? You really were, you were, you were convinced that you understood this thing really, really well. And then something happened to disrupt your understanding. Like something kind of disrupted you. It, it made you kind of go into a little bit of a whirlwind, this thing that you thought you understood. Something changed, and then it turns out you didn't understand it as much as you really thought you did. You actually start to question the understanding that you had previously. right? So you were really confident, but then you encounter a disruption, and that disruption makes you question your understanding. So I'll give you a few examples of what this could look like. So for myself um, – when uh, when you're playing a piece of music, and uh, I was in I was in a band in in college, a wind band, and, and I played euphonium, and I had this piece of music that I was supposed to play. We were actually going to a convention where there were a bunch of people from all around the nation who were going to play together, and uh, and and so I learned my part, and I really understood my part, and I thought I really understood this piece of music. But then there was this band director who. Every time that we would start playing together, we would play together for like two seconds and then he would stop us. He would disrupt us, right? And then and then he would uh, say some words, but nobody really paid attention because we all thought we understood the music really well. And so then he would do it again. And then he stopped us. He disrupted us. And then like he would say some words. Again, we didn't really remember them. And then he we started playing again. And then two seconds in, he would stop us and disrupt us. And finally, like we encountered enough disruption to where we actually went like, okay, maybe we're missing something here. And, and then what you have is uh, this, this band director, he was really, really skilled at getting us to to listen to what was going on in the rest of the band like most people when they learn their part they just know how to listen to their part but he was actually engaging us and trying to get us to to listen and be a part of what was happening inside of the entire band and so because of that he actually opened all of our understandings up to this piece of music and how it actually expanded more than what we just knew in our our, our little narrow part so like we thought we knew our parts, right? But we had to, he disrupted us enough to, to make us question our understanding. Uh, I had a vocal coach one time, a vocal coach like, you know, I, I've been singing for a long time. He's actually coaching a, a group of singers all together. All these people have been singing together for, for a long time, right? And this vocal coach comes in and, and again, he does this disruption thing. He keeps like starts people out singing and then he he stops them and then he like goes and corrects them and that kind of stuff and the disruption keeps coming and, and what we discover is you got all of these people in this room who think they really know singing but but he disrupts us so often to make us realize hey we don't understand singing as well as we think we do there's something else we need to understand here right so uh so i'll give you a much more personal example of how this works out for me so i have this really annoying habit I have this really annoying habit, and it happens all the time with my wife, where my wife will be talking, and then she will take like the slightest pause in her sentence, the, the smallest little pause. And I, thinking that I really understand my wife and really understand what she's going to say, will fill in that pause. And almost universally, I am wrong about what I put into that pause. And I tell you, like, this this is very annoying for my wife. There's like, this is a, an annoying habit that I have. And now we've gotten to the point where I've done this enough times where she now disrupts me, right? She says, 
wait a second, you can't keep doing this. Like, you don't understand as well as you think you do. Just listen to me, right? Like, that's kind of what we're dealing with. This is the problem that I have. So, okay, so you think you understand something, then you're disrupted, and it leads you to question your understanding. All of this points to a certain reality that I want to put in front of you, and that is this. Disruption reveals the need to recalibrate our understanding. Disruption reveals the need to recalibrate our understanding. So uh, so someone or something disrupts us enough to get us to realize that we don't understand as well as we think we do. Now, why do I talk about that? Because we do the very same thing with God. Like we think that we really understand God, whatever our picture of God is in our head, and we are confident in that. But God actually has a way of disrupting us when we think that we really understand our reality and we really understand him. And then he actually leads us to places where we might be questioning our understanding. So so we've all got stories, I'm sure, of God's disruptions in our life. Like stories where God does something or something happens in our life and it shakes up what is normal for us, what we are confident in. And it leads us to ask questions like, you know, what am I missing? Like, what did I not see before? What am I not understanding? It leads us to acknowledge that, hey, maybe like what I thought I knew about God, I don't actually really understand. It leads us to a place of of humility. And in that place of humility, you can actually ask the question, okay, God, like who are you really? Like if you're bringing me to this place where you're disrupting my understanding of you, okay, God, who are you really? And that is a really important question because – God loves to answer that question asked with that kind of humility. You know, and that, that is a question that is going to lead us into examining our passage today. Uh, because I imagine the picture that, that we have of God, uh, especially if that picture at all has been formed by our society, is not the same picture that's represented for us in Exodus chapter 19. But but here in Exodus 19, God is showing up to his people, and he's actually showing them who he really is, maybe something that they've been missing. So, so Exodus 19, verse 9 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever." So uh, so basically what's happening is that the Lord wants the pe- Moses to know, like, I am going to kind of set you up. When the people see, the people are actually going to see me speak with you, communicate you, and this is going to kind of validate you in their eyes. It's going to validate their leadership, but, but also they're going to see me. They're going to see the ways that I communicate. They're going to come to understand something about who I am. And so we're in the middle of this two-week series. This is the second of two weeks called Approach. And essentially what's happening is the people of Israel, they've been drawn out of Egypt, and they're here in the desert at this place called Sinai, and they are having kind of a family meeting with God at this mountain. And this is where Israel officially becomes a nation. This is where they get a new point of reference for understanding their whole reality. This is actually where they end up getting the law for for what's going to like form the the foundation of their nation. And so, so right now, this nation, it, it they're coming to meet their God, like they're coming to actually see Him, to understand who He is. Now, last week. 
we saw how God, in introducing himself, he leads with his pursuit, right? So he tells them who they are because of what he's accomplished for them. He reminds them, hey, I drew you out of Egypt. And, and he reminds them, I'm giving you a certain identity, right? So this week, God is actually going to make sure that they – that was who they are. He's going to make sure that they really understand who he is. So Exodus 19.10 says this. Verse 10 says, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So uh, so, so Moses has to do this consecration bit. So just so you, we understand what consecration is, ritual consecration is, is essentially a process of preparation to approach something holy or something divine, right? So, so this ritual preparation, oftentimes it involves things like sacrifice. Uh, it involves some form of cleansing, like what we see here. It usually involves some form of abstinence, which might be like abstinence from food, so fasting or abstinence from alcohol alcohol or abstinence. Uh, I mean, it could be a series of things because there are a whole lot of like normal things that we encounter in our lives. But uh, but consecration involves abstaining even from those normal things in order to prepare oneself for this encounter. Right. And so what is the preparation for? Well, it's preparation for a meeting with their creator, like the creator of the universe, the identity giver. The one who told them who they are, like he is coming to meet with them here and they have to consecrate themselves. So so I want to note something about consecration. Consecration at its core has a self-acknowledgement. So consecration's self-acknowledgement is this. I am corrupt and I live in a corrupt world. So the reason consecration even exists is because implicitly contained in the idea of consecration is this idea that the thing or the person needing to be consecrated actually has some kind of corruption upon them and they need to be cleansed from that corruption in order to be presentable, right? That's what that's the idea that the consecration carries with it. So so I am corrupt and I live in a corrupt world. This is the self-acknowledgement that you have to make when you would consecrate yourself. And this is uh, like to consecrate, to, to be a part of this process is actually like a difficult, challenging process of attempting to kind of separate yourself from corruption. Like, and, and all of these people, every single person in Israel is going to have to participate in this. Like this consecration, it's going to undo life as normal for them. It will disrupt their day to day. It will take them from their regular practices and even how they eat and how they interact with each other. Uh, it's even going to disrupt their relationships, the marital relationship. It's going to disrupt you know, how they relate to each other in terms of their sexuality and all of this stuff. Everything that would have been normal for them gets disrupted. They're going to have to fast. They're, they're going to avoid normal practices. They're going to have to give up some of their property for sacrifice. Life will be very abnormal, and this will not be easy for them to do. So I think of like a, a good illustration of this is like when you know you have really honored guests coming over to your house. And you are working really hard to like clean up your house, make sure your house is presentable for those guests. It's like that, but kind of times 100. 
And even that, even that doesn't begin to describe it because when you clean up for guests, when you prepare your house for guests, you're still cleaning for fallible humans, right? But the one who's coming to meet with them, he is entirely other than they are. So verse 12, and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And in verse 13, it goes on and it says, when the, the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So here's the thing. Even after they've been consecrated, they can't even touch the edge of the mountain. Like there is still going to be a barrier between them and God. Like they, they still will not be able to approach it. And on the third day, you know what? They're going to approach the mountain, but, but even then they cannot touch the mountain. They'll be consecrated, but they, they cannot touch the mountain. And, and there is like the, the threat on a person who has any sort of corruption. And when they come near to this mountain, if they actually touch it, the threat upon them is death. Like there are actually guards who are at this mountain watching, and they are they are prepared to stone, right? That's what we saw as we read the passage. They're prepared to stone whoever would touch the mountain, whoever would go near the mountain. And the idea is, is like even after they have been consecrated, even after they've been prepared, they still can't go up. There's something about who God is that even would prevent them from entering into his presence. And so, so there's a reality here that we need to understand about God, and, and it is this. Your creator who saved you is perfectly pure. Your creator who saved you is perfectly pure. So, uh, so the message to the Israelites is um, God is up there on the mountain, and you can't even get close to him. You can't even get into his presence. You need to stay back in honor the barrier, and this is what is meant when we use words like "holy" to describe God. Like, really, what we're saying when we say that God is holy, we're saying that He has no part with corruption. We're saying that He's different; that He's set apart from us. So, like, you read verses that describe this things like God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Right? It's the idea that that God has no part with darkness. Darkness is absorbed or destroyed in his light, right? So uh, so this word holy is, is one of the most frequent words actually used to describe uh, God to us. Like God actually uses this word frequently to describe himself, and it literally means like um, set apart. So, so it's as if we are so corrupted that the most effective way that God can describe himself to us is kind of like, I'm not you. I'm not corrupted. All you know and see is corruption. It's inside of you. It's inside of your world. But I am unbroken by it. So that's the, that's the idea that we get, that God is, is perfectly pure. And so verse 16 goes on, and we understand more about God in this next part of the, the, the scene that we get. So verse 16, it says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders, and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. So uh, so I have a sound actually that I want to play for you. Uh, Zeke is actually going to play it for you from my childhood. And if the, tr- if the blast sounds like anything, I kind of imagine 
that uh, maybe it might sound something like this. So Zeke is going to play that sound for you. probably recognized that sound like this is uh this is a a piece of my childhood uh the movie twister was i think was the first movie where i encountered this uh, thx sound and um i remember when i was a kid and i would hear this sound there was something so powerful about it that i would actually like i would be a little bit disturbed because my parents had like we had the full surround set up in our small living room and you know you crank the volume on that and then you just push it and there's something so loud and so like it just would like shake me up a little bit it would make me a little afraid so i would imagine like, this is not, like, some small trumpet, like a guy just standing out here in the back. But this sound is, like, a full surround massive experience that these people, when they hear it, it it's something actually, like, it, it shakes them up inside. It, like, disturbs them a little bit. So, so I, I imagine them waking up to this, like, consistent, visible lightning all around you. It's like, you went to bed, and the, the skies were clear. And you wake up and there is lightning all around. There is thick, dark cloud cover, thunder that shakes the ground when it like when it booms. And and you know what? You might even you might even be able to sleep through that. But then you hear this like disturbing trumpet blast, unlike anything you've ever heard before. And everything about this experience makes you recognize the gravity of who you are dealing with and you are afraid so verse 17 says this moses brought the people out of the camp to meet god and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain so you have this fear inside of you there's all of these massive sounds like the ground is shaking because of what's happening and moses comes and says okay everyone like let's go we're gonna go meet the the person that's making this happen right like imagine in an israelite's mind like they're going okay this is it like this is where god kills us he brought us out of egypt and we're all here in the desert and we're just going to be like a pile of bodies out here right because this this situation is so terrifying that you can't help but uh but fear for your life right and i guarantee you like in this moment when when all of this stuff is happening there is not one person who is going to touch the edge of that mountain. And so the the lesson that the Israelites are learning about God is this. Your creator who saved you is terrifying. Your creator who saved you is terrifying. So so what is he doing? Like, why is he doing this? Well, Well, he's disrupting their reality. Because there's something about him that they missed. He's disrupting. He's disrupting them because they they thought they understood, but there's actually something that they've missed. And and honestly, like this idea of God being terrifying, I think this is a message that we also we really don't take seriously in our culture. 
like we we know that God is love, right? We know that God brings joy. We know that God has a plan for our lives, right? Like though all of those things are true, but all of those things lose their meaning if you lose sight of God's terrifying otherness. Like the the most referenced characteristics of God. Like yes, love sure is absolutely one of God's most referenced characteristics, but but God's holiness is far more significant. It stands out all the time. God's holiness, his power, his wrath towards corruption. These things get highlighted again and again and again throughout scripture. And so, so yes, also that, like God's love and God's holiness held in tension. And so even in this statement, we talk about your creator who saved you is terrifying. In that statement, you have two uh understandings of God, two two, uh, pieces of who God is, two aspects of his character that need to be held in tension, both of them. And you have God's saving nature, his choosing nature, his pursuing nature, his his way that he goes out and he reaches out and he saves people from from the depths of what they're stuck in. That's like one understanding of God. But then on the other side of it, you have like his terrifying nature, like how he actually treats corruption, what he does with it. God is Holy, he is perfectly pure, and and he is so powerful that in his purity he cannot help but challenge corruption. And there's something about understanding this reality of God's power and his purity, the combination of these two things together, that that I think we often miss when we think about God because we want to create a version of God that is very convenient for us. So verse 19 goes on and It says, and as the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. So now this sound, this disturbing sound, it's not just one time, but now it's growing louder. It's shaking the ground more. And Moses is speaking, and you can't even hear what he says because of the sounds that are going on. But you see Moses speak, and God answers him not with words, but with thunder. Like this moment, it keeps growing more and more intense. So so now imagine, what does this do for Moses? Because they are watching Moses uh, converse with God, and God answers him with the thunder and, and with the trumpet. Like whatever they thought of Moses before, whether they thought he was a pushover or he wasn't really organized or whatever, like this experience solidifies Moses' significance for these people. So verse 20 says, The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. He's coming down kind of in a fire. It's almost like if the burning bush was like uh, Moses' experience of of meeting God, then uh, this burning mountain where God is like his presence is on there in fire, uh, this burning mountain is that that face-to-face experience with him and his people. And so verse 21 goes on and says, The Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. The the idea that's being presented here is that there is something curious about what's happening. And there might be people who are curious enough to try to break the rule, to go past the boundary. And and the Lord's saying, Moses, they really need to know that they can't go past this barrier. And and then the idea of consecration comes up. So, So here's the idea. If corruption comes into the presence of perfect purity, like God's perfect purity and corruption comes into its presence. And then what happens is that corruption gets burned up. 
So like God's telling people, Moses, like the people need to remember this. They cannot actually come into my presence. There needs to be a barrier because if they come into my presence, they will be burned up. Like corruption cannot last inside my presence. And so then he makes this note about the priests and, and Moses responds. And this is what he says. And then after, after Moses responds to him, verse 25, or sorry, verse 24, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go down, come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So, so not even the priests could come up. There's this little exchange between Moses and the Lord, and it's decided not even the priests can come up, but but only Aaron is going to come up. And the idea is anybody who comes up, anybody who comes up the mountain, their life would be in danger if they crossed the barrier. And so the final message that they really understand about God from this is, is that you cannot approach your creator who saved you. This is what they learn about God. If you approach your creator, uh, his holiness, his purity, he is so perfect that your corruption will be, get consumed and you will get consumed along with it. That's the, the concept that, that's put in front of them. So so in this, we, you know, we're at the, the end of this, uh, this part of our Exodus series. We're going to come back in, in, in the winter, in January, and dig into the Ten Commandments and, and the different aspects of of what the Lord is showing them. But here, in this face-to-face moment, we've walked through this entire Exodus experience with these people. And, and in this experience, God is really showing his people two key things. Number one, that he has chosen them and he loves them. He's shown them that with absolute clarity. He has chosen them. And he loves them. But the second thing that he's showing them is this. He's showing them that they need to take him and his words very seriously. And that if they do take him and his words lightly, that that it's more than dangerous for them. It's actually a death wish. So all of this prepares Israel to actually receive the ten words from God, the ten commandments that will become the foundation of of their national and religious law. Like that's what this experience sets them up for. They see God for who He is and all of His power and all of His purity and all of His holiness. They come face to face with that, and it prepares them to receive the law. Okay, so what? So what this morning? Number one, the powerful and pure. Creator should frighten us. There's a reality that as much as we would try, we cannot escape corruption. Like we cannot get away from corruption. It is all around us in our world. All you have to do is turn the news on for like two minutes to know that corruption is in our world. It is inside of us, right? Like you don't have to think about your own motivations very long to realize that you are like a selfish person and that you uh, choose to kind of pursue your own thing instead of caring for other people. And that even when you do care for other people, it's not always like from a good motivation, right? It's, It's done for some other purpose. It's that corruption, that that stuff that's inside of us and in our world around us. It's that corruption that God's power consumes. Like that's the the, the passage. There, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Like there should be a reality to that that is frightening to us. 
And so I say all of that to, to point out the fact like there's something about how we've come to understand the gospel that gives us a very flippant attitude towards sin. And when we hold that flippant attitude towards sin and, and say things like, oh, you know what, it's no big deal. Like, uh, okay, yeah, sure. Like, you know, God will forgive me. And you know what? Like, Jesus's grace is, is so, you cannot outrun Jesus's grace, right? But if you have this flippant attitude towards sin to think, oh, it's no big deal. Like, when we hold that attitude, we actually reveal that we haven't really recognized God in his holiness. Like he is so perfect that we should not be able to draw near to him. And if this reality means nothing to you, then actually what you display is that you would prefer to treat God like a doormat, right? So that's just something to be aware of. The powerful and pure creator should frighten us. But then number two, and this is incredibly, incredibly good news. Jesus destroyed the barrier. Jesus destroyed the barrier. Like if you actually recognize how unapproachable God is, then you will be able to recognize how what Jesus accomplished is actually so significant. So, so what happened? What did he accomplish? Well, he died. And in his death, he offers us full, total, complete cleansing from corruption. So that when we repent and turn to follow Jesus, he actually takes from us the weight of every selfish motivation, the weight of every lustful thought, the weight of every lie that we told and all of its corruption that goes with it. And with his blood, he pays for it and makes us clean. And then on top of that, so he doesn't just take our corruption from us, but then he gives to us his perfection and his righteousness and his purity. Now, does that mean that we don't sin anymore ever from that point? No, it means that the most fundamental thing that now describes us is not corruption, but that Jesus in his death on the cross made it possible for us to take ownership of his perfection of his purity, of his identity, because he actually bore the weight of our corrupted identity on the cross. So, so when he died, something actually amazing happened. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one speaks of this event. It says, and behold, right after Jesus died, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You know, after after all of this stuff happens in Exodus, that curtain that we just read about in the temple, that curtain actually becomes like a, the barrier around the mountain, right? Like the barrier that's set up. It keeps people back from God's perfect, holy, powerful presence. That's what the, the curtain does. And when Jesus died, that curtain gets destroyed. What does this mean? It means that while God cannot be approached by corruption, when we turn to Jesus, the, the, the same Jesus who died and tore the veil and rose victorious over death, when we actually follow him, we can approach God's throne boldly. Like we can approach the, the throne of a perfect, holy, pure, righteous God with boldness because we contain in our identity now the perfection of Jesus. And we can, we can go to our Father 
and we can approach him as a father who loves us. We can have a restored relationship with him. And then actually like the amazing thing that happens inside of us, like the Holy Spirit actually comes. The presence of God himself comes to live inside of us, the consuming presence that that cannot stand to have corruption because Jesus has made us, us clean. The Holy Spirit actually comes to live inside of us. We get a restored relationship with God. So Lions Bible Church, this morning, we celebrate the fact that Jesus has actually, that he has made the powerful, perfect, pure, holy creator of the universe approachable and accessible to us. Right? Like we read these stories in the Old Testament and they did not have the privilege of being able to approach God. There were all of these boundaries, but now Jesus has made it possible for us to approach God. How? He says, follow me. Turn to me. Trust me. Pledge your allegiance to me. And he says, when you do this, you can walk boldly and restored relationship with your creator. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. These are the amazing things that we have been given. And so, yes, like maybe we do need to recapture that idea that God is God is terrifying. In his power, he is frightening. Like the power that he holds in his purity, he cannot help but to do away with corruption. But thankfully, Jesus took our corruption on himself and gave us his perfection. And so we can approach the throne of God with boldness. So Alliance Bible Church, uh, would you pray with me this morning, please? Father, I thank you for the amazing gift that, that you have given us. That we, we are not just a nation of people with whom you have a relationship with, who we have to kind of keep our distance or we need some sort of mediator. No, the only mediator that we need is Jesus. And Jesus gives us the freedom to approach your throne and your presence with boldness and receive your presence with boldness and be guided by your presence as we operate out into the world. Lord, these are amazing gifts that we should not be able to have. But you offered them by taking on yourself the weight for our corruption. And so, Lord, we are grateful. And we ask that you would help to build this gratefulness in our heart. Lord, I pray for anybody. Uh, I pray for even myself. Sometimes we can have cavalier attitudes towards sin. Lord, may that not be true of us. May we see your heart towards it. May we see the corruption it causes. And may we always seek to do away with it. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do for us. And, and Lord, we thank you for worship of you this morning, for drawing our attention to you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.